0: Hey guys, this is Justin. In this episode of Excess Returns, Jack and I discuss the Ken French and Eugene Pharma paper on migration. Migration in stocks helps try and explain what drives part of both the size and value premium over time. As stocks migrate from value to growth, and from small to large, and vice versa, we can start to understand why stocks that are migrating produce returns above the market and why some don't. One of the things we discussed is how this past year presents a good, real-world example of migration as many stocks that were very cheap a year ago have come back and been re-rated in terms of their valuation. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoy this discussion on migration. OK, today we're going to talk about um, a research paper that you and I both think is very interesting and probably gets a little hasn't gotten a lot of attention over the years, or at least not nearly enough uh, as much of attention as some of the original work by um, Ken French and Eugene Fama um, who have written extensively around sort of the uh, premiums in certain types of stocks. So small cap stocks, cheap stocks, value stocks, sort of their work, some of their seminal research um, around um, the premiums out of those cohorts or groups of stocks is sort of like the core of, um, uh, I guess, risk prima and what you know types of stocks basically can generate excess performance over the market over time. But um, what these um, two researchers and academics uh, tried to look at in a follow-on paper many years later, which this paper that we're gonna talk about um, was published in, I believe, the 06, 07 timeframe. And the title of that paper is titled Migration. And what they were, I think, trying to uncover um, is what is actually driving the premium in small caps or value stocks? Like what is the core reason why there is some degree of excess return in those various groups of stocks? And so we'll sort of get into what this concept of migration actually is. Um, But before we do that, I think Jack, we want to start out by just talking about some of The the, sort of the components of drivers of outperformance of value when you try to sort of separate these things out. Some of that has to do with O'Shaughnessy's research and other things. So I'm going to let you maybe just start there, and then we'll kind of try to get into this concept of migration a little bit more.
1: When when we... When we had Wes Gray on the podcast, he did a really good job of explaining this. And so the idea is if I'm gonna buy value stocks, what are the different ways I can win relative to the market? And there's really three different ways I can win. I can buy value stocks and they can achieve better earnings growth than the market. And so I can win on the earnings growth side. They can have a higher yield so I can win on the dividend side or they can get more expensive, their multiples, you know, the situation with the stocks ends up not being as bad as people think, the multiple expands, and I win on multiple expansion. And so it's when you look at the outperformance of value stocks over time, you basically on the earnings growth side, you probably lose a little bit, or maybe you break even, you you don't typically win there, you do typically win on yield, you know, value stocks are typically higher yielding than the market. But where you really win is on this idea of multiple expansion. And and that's what this this migration paper is getting into is we're looking at when when value stocks win, when they get re rated, you know, when their multiples go up, how is, you know, how is that their movement between these groups, which we'll talk about in a second, how is that multiple expansion working? Um, And so that's, that part of this is really important in understanding this paper is understanding that, you know, multiple expansion is driving a lot of the value performance. and, And then this paper gets into a little bit
0: about why and we'll put there's a six by six sort of matrix that we will add into various parts of this podcast um not from the paper itself but from another uh reference or source but basically what they did is they have small and large caps and then they have what are essentially value and growth stocks and there's actually a neutral category in here too and they look at where portfolios were at one point in time at, at a point in time in a given year, and then they look at the following year, how stocks in those different groups basically moved or migrated to the other areas of the market and how much that migration c- contributed to various degrees of excess performance. Um, but, you know, there's some, I, I think there's some probably things we should sort of define just before we start, which is, you know, the fact that these, um portfolios, if you will, in each of these segments are valued, meaning they're market cap weighted, right?
1: That's right. They're, they're market cap weighted. Um, So yeah, so essentially what they what they did is is basically what you explained, which is you know we've got six different groups. We're going to have small cap stocks and we're going to have large cap stocks, and then we're going to use price to book, which is what academics you know tend to use in everything, to to classify a company as a value company, a a neutral company, or a growth company. And we're we're going to end up with six baskets because of that. And you know it's important to understand that when we refer to a growth company, we're referring to an expensive company based on price to book. And you know that's one thing people don't typically understand about the difference between academic research and maybe the real world. If I'm running a real world growth strategy, I'm not Going to just say buy expensive stocks but in in academic research that's what they do you know expensive stocks are just the opposite uh, or growth stocks are just the opposite of value stocks so they're they're expensive stocks and so and the idea of this paper is essentially just to say how does the movement between these groups so you know every june they looked at these groups these six quadrants and they assigned stocks to each quadrant how does the movement between these quadrants, You know, a stock can be in one quadrant one year, and then it can move to another quadrant in the next year. How does that impact both the size premium and the value premium? Because you know, you could have two different things that could really happen here. We, we talked about sort of multiple expansion earlier. A value company could be in say the, the value grouping and it, its valuation could go up, but not enough that it actually leaves the, the quadrant it was in. And so that, that's one example. And then migration is, Basically, it leaves it, its multiple goes up enough that it actually leaves value, and it either goes to neutral or it, either, or it can go to growth. Um, and the same thing with size. You know, it, when a company gets big enough that it moves from small to large, they considered that migration. And so the idea of the paper is to say, how does this migration? How much of the value premium is driven by these various migrations? You know, across value and across market
0: capitalization. Right. So there was just sort of just maybe summing that up or saying it in another way. There's four different migration groups. You have sort of movement based on size so smaller stocks can become larger stocks or larger stocks can become smaller stocks then you can have um a change in valuation so value stocks become gross stocks or gross stocks become value stocks and then you actually have no change so in a lot of cases between one year and the next many companies in these groups actually don't change in terms of their categorization based on sort of size and value or growth, if you will, they sort of stay put. Um, But in terms of the driver of let's start with, I think the size premium, and then we'll get to the value premium. Um, in, In terms of the size premium, I believe the biggest driver was the migration from and this would make sense from those few small cap stocks that actually graduate and become larger cap names.
1: That's right. And, you know, one thing to understand up front before we do this is that all of these academic tests are always long short. And so there, there's two different ways I can have migration. I can have value stocks migrating up or big small stocks migrating up. I can also have migration down. And so either one of those will, will contribute could potentially contribute to a premium. So if I'm short growth stocks, you know, if growth stocks get less expensive, then that can contribute to a premium. Or if I'm long value stocks and they they go up in valuation, that can also contribute to a premium. So that's important to keep in mind when we're looking at the size premium, because we're gonna look at migrations in both different directions. And so with the size premium, basically what drove almost all of it was this migration from small to large. So the long portion of the portfolio, which would be small stocks, a portion of those stocks you know, appreciated in price such that they joined the large cap group and that drove a significant portion of the size premium. What's interesting is on the other side of that, you did not see much, it did not drive much of the premium. So when large cap stocks became small cap stocks, that did not, that actually did occur, but it didn't drive much of the premium. And the reason is, it goes back to what you were talking about before, which is this whole value weighted idea. That each one of these is value weighted, and so if you think about the smallest stocks in the large cap group, they don't have much weighting because if it's it's market cap weighted, they don't have much weighting in the portfolio at all. So even though they are migrating down into the small group, it's not having much of an impact because they don't have much of a weighting in the portfolio. So the migration from small to large is really what they found drove the vast majority of the size premium.
0: Yeah, and like we were talking, you know, if you take like something like the S and P 500 index, and you look at the very uh, the smallest holdings, you know, that might account for, you know, less than one half or 1% of the overall index. When those companies drop out of the index, they have very little impact on the overall returns of that index. And it's the same thing here with sort of those smaller companies in in the, that are big that go down to small companies, you know, like you said, because it's valuated, they're just not having much contribution in terms of the negative, uh, returns, if you will. Correct. That's
1: right, and you know just a couple other really interesting things I think on the size premium one is that the you know the, the improvements in type, which would be from value to growth or value to neutral those did not have any impact on the size premium so if be and the reason was because the improvements of type they were positive both for large and small stocks. So if, if it's equally impacting, if any effect is equally impacting both large and small cap stocks, then it's not gonna have any impact on the size premium. So those movements in type um, had, no, had no impact whatsoever on the size premium. And then the other thing is stocks that deteriorate in, tra- in type, which is what we were talking about before, the movement from growth back down to value, those actually worked against the size premium because they contributed more to the returns of large cap stocks than they did in small cap stocks. So actually that downward movement in, in type, you know, from growth to value, actually was, well, it was a little bit of a fight against the size premium. So I thought those were two other interesting pieces of information from the paper.
0: Yeah, and I think value is a little bit more interesting because there's, I think, more kind of going on here with this migration of value stocks and growth stocks. Um, so I think to start, the, the plus transitions. So for value stocks that start off as value stocks, But then migrate either to the neutral category or to growth stocks that had a positive or very big um, factor as to why sort of you see this excess returns out of value stocks as a group
1: right they the the migration both upward and downward was the primary contributor to the premium so on the on the value side you know value stocks would move up either to the neutral group or to the growth group and that obviously given that those stocks are getting more expensive the prices are going up that obviously contributes to the premium and then on the other side the growth stocks would move down and so much of the value premium was explained by this this is basically maybe maybe the most important finding of the paper is this this movement between the groups is what drives the vast majority of the value premium, and what does not drive a lot of the value premium, although it does a little, a little bit, is the movement within the groups. So the value stock that gets more expensive but remains in the that value third, that doesn't drive a lot of the premium, or the growth stock that you know gets a little bit less expensive but doesn't move, that doesn't drive a lot of the premium either. You know what really was driving the premium is these actual migrations from one group to the other. Um, and the only other thing I, I would say about this too is you know it's important to not think about this as you know value stocks went into the growth group so their earnings grow faster um that's that's not the way it worked this we're basically talking about again like we said at the beginning we're talking about using valuation to determine these groups
0: that's an excellent point and this is where i think this grid and chart will be very helpful um for people that actually are watching this and this is basically and the study was from 1963 to march of 2020 that's what the data you're going to see in here is which is basically showing we'll use small Small cap value and big cap value, and basically, it shows from that you know across that period of time with small cap value stocks, you had 18% migration from one year to the next from the value portfolio to the neutral portfolio. Only three percent of value stocks actually went all the way up to the growth portfolio, so it wasn't like these value stocks just all of a sudden became super expensive or whatever, they just move to the neutral category. And the same thing with large cap or big cap value, which it shows that over those one periods of time, you had 24% of large cap or big cap value stocks moving from the value category to the neutral category. Um, So that's just sort of to put some numbers and you can kind of see, it's this charts a little bit, you really got to kind of, wrap your arms around it because it is like whatever a six by six matrix and um but I think that'll be very helpful for, for people that want to sort of see some data and how this migration actually plays out in percentage terms um the other thing that they found though to your point about these um long short portfolios is the minus tra- transitions or the minus migrations um for growth stocks moving f- from growth to the neutral category or maybe down to the value category, which doesn't happen very often, but it does happen, that actually is a, it's a negative in terms of the returns of growth stocks.
1: Yeah, that's right. It, it contributes basically to the value premium because you're, you know, you're short those names. So effectively, those stocks moving down will, will be a positive con- contribution to the value premium, just like the value stocks moving up will be a, a positive contribution. So both of those two effects is effectively what drives the vast majority of the value premium.
0: Do you think there's any like practical sort of um you know strategy or that can be sort of taken from this i mean in terms of trying to capture this in in a some type of investment strategy um that you can think of not really
1: because you know it's i mean we we knew before that in multiple expansion is what's driving a lot of the value premium it's it's what's driving you know the better returns from value stocks you know but the fact that the the expansion goes to the point that they migrate between these groups you know I, i don't know that you can predict that in advance so i mean obviously if you could predict that in advance or something and you could identify you know the stocks that are likely to migrate the most or something like that you know you could probably use that to enhance your returns but i don't know how you would do that you know it's this is more i think Looking back, and it's, it's, it's interesting data to try to explain what's going on. It's sort of a better way to explain the value premium, but I don't think it means anything in terms of, I don't think you would change your value investing strategy because of this, because you can't really predict who's going to migrate and who's not in advance. You know, it, re- it really plays into the idea of you want to own a basket of these stocks, a, a good chunk of them or some chunk of them are going to migrate. You're going to get an excess return because they did migrate, but you didn't know in advance which ones it was going to be.
0: Yeah, but it might it might be interesting to go back if you could actually see the underlying companies, industries and sectors and just sort of try to like look underneath the hood and try to unearth at various points in market regimes or whatever, you know, what companies were migrating. It might, you you know, there might be something that you see there by understanding what where the migration was actually happening that might be. I think interesting and potentially useful um but you're right it's it's so super hard to identify these in advance but one of the things that we were sort of talking about before we started this was you know in the market we're in now you've seen some pretty major migration i mean you had a lot of these cyclical companies get absolutely crushed you know during the downturn in the pandemic and now coming out of that it's you know a lot of these valuations have been sort of re-weighted and um you know and i think that migration is kind of happened in front of our eyes with some of these stocks that are more economically sensitive and tied to the reopening trade and stuff like that
1: yeah i mean you probably couldn't find a better example of migration than what we've seen since the the bottom you know the bottom in march because you've seen these stocks that were ultra cheap many of them are, are trading at much more expensive valuations and so you know in our own database we see this you know you've seen a lot of these migrations from you know maybe the bottom third of the market to in the middle or maybe even to the top third and you know in, in more rare cases so yeah i mean if you wanted to think about the concept of migration in the real world maybe one of the best things to do would be to just look at what just exactly happened you know what what happened was you had a bunch of stocks that were really really cheap a lot of them went up a lot they migrated to another group and that that's driving the premium they've earned so that, that's a, that's a really good real world example of this
0: we'll put links to the research paper and um, a couple other references in there if anybody's interested in reading um, more about migration. It's not a very long paper. It's only like maybe 10 or 12 pages long, something like that. So it's definitely digestible. And um, I think this is a sort of topic that we'll probably come back to in the future. Um, so thank you guys for watching and we will see you next time. Thank you. Hi guys, this is Justin again. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Excess Returns. You can follow Jack on Twitter at, at practicalquant and follow me on Twitter at, at JJ Carbono. If you found this discussion interesting and valuable, please subscribe in either iTunes or on YouTube or leave a review or a comment. We appreciate it.